Good morning, brothers and sisters of Chinese Gospel Church. It's such an honor and privilege to be able to share God's word with you this morning. My name is Pastor Derek Chen, and together with my wife Chantel and our three boys, we are one of the missionary families that your church supports in Papua New Guinea. Now first, I would like to take this opportunity to say a big thank you to you guys, as CGC has stood with us since the very beginning, even before we set foot in Papua New Guinea. And to be able to partner with your church in our joint adventure or endeavor to plant a thriving church in a remote, forgotten corner of the world, it is truly a privilege and we're, thankful, we're so thankful for that. Now, we left Canada at the end of 2016 for Papua New Guinea. The first thing we did after we got there was to learn the official language and culture as part of our new missionary training. After that, we formed a team and together with our teammates, the Swenson family, we built our two houses and moved into the Tongwa village in late 2018. After we moved in for a few months, uh, in March of 2019, my wife was diagnosed with aggressive lymphoma, and that took us out of the field for 10 months of treatment in Taiwan. Praise the Lord, she responded well to the treatment and we were able to go back in 2020. For the most of last year, we spent a good time uh, in the village learning the language. However, in January, when we uh, took a scan of her lung and sent it back to the doctors in Taiwan, they found something that was growing in her lungs and they asked us to come back to Taiwan for treatment. So now, as I record this message, it's only a few days before Easter now, and she is scheduled for surgery on Easter Monday. So we do appreciate your continual prayer uh, for her and our family, uh, even though you might be listening to this message uh, uh, after the surgery. Now, to say that the past few year ha years have been a roller coaster is an understatement. Uh, we went through a lot, a lot of major stressor, a lot of decisions needed to be made on the spot uh, with COVID changes and all that. Uh, but if you think that we're super Christians or we have this missionary holiness, then you're wrong because uh, we don't. We're like we're sinful people just like you. And if anything, when you're in the field, uh, one of the uh, you, you, your your flesh tend to manifest itself even more. One of the most challenging moments in the village that we faced last year was when the PNG government decided to uh, uh, declare a state of emergency and shut down interprovincial pro uh, travels. And our mission headquarters being in a different province uh, from where we were, uh, we couldn't have our helicopter come in and take us out uh, on a regular basis, nor in emergency situations. So our leadership told us, hey, be prepared to be in there and you might be stuck for a while, even for medical emergencies. And when we have our medical emergency escape route kind of taken away from us a little bit, uh, we started to wonder a little bit. That's when your faith is kind of like tested. Uh, what if the virus comes into our village and people start dying left and right? Uh, what if one of our us gets sick and can't get out? And Chantel, her lymphoma being in her lung, uh, could be considered a high risk uh, for COVID. And so this was the first time we actually had to wrestle with the possibility of not only contracting COVID, but also dying and even being buried in there. Um, I mean, going into tribal missions, we all, always kind of knew the worst case scenario be helped beforehand, but this was actually the first time that we had to struggle uh, with burying one of us in the, in the village as a reality, potential reality. Now, I think 
the pandemic has changed so many things for most of the world and we all started to wonder about what ifs what if life doesn't get back to pre-covid time what if i lost my job or i can't find another job what if my worst fears come true brothers and sisters have you ever wondered what if god doesn't come through when you are faced with your first worst fears what would you do what would we do now it's kind of a grim topic but I, it is my hope that through today's message that we can renew our focus and our hope in Christ and His goodness. That in Him we are never without hope no matter our circumstances. Uh, it's an easy concept but it's so hard to unpack that truth. So today's message, we're going to look at a problem, a solution, and how to apply these truths or the solution to our lives. Right? A problem, a solution, and how to apply it. So first, let us go straight into the problem. And the problem is simply this. God doesn't always come through when, faith, when we are faced with our worst fears. God doesn't always come through when we are faced with our worst fears. And what I mean is this, that throughout scripture in the history of the church, there have been many instances of divine interventions and deliverances. Those are all the good stories that we love to read about. However, there are also many people who suffer greatly for their faith in God. Now we're going to turn our attention to primarily uh, the book of Hebrew in chapter 11. And that's, this is a well-known chapter of the Bible. Uh, it is well-loved by most people because it gives us the quote-unquote heroes of faith. You know, the stories of Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, and Rahab, just to name a few. God delivered Noah through the flood. He also provided Abraham a miracle son, Isaac, even though he and Sarah were both too old to have a child. And when it comes time for Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, God provided a timely substitute just at the right moment, the ram caught in the thicket. Now God came through for them again and again because those people honored him with faith, that he is worthy of their trust. Now for the sake of the time, we can't go into the details. And that's exactly what the writers of Hebrew actually said. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11, 32-35. He says, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quench the flames of fire, and escape death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from death. Wow, these are wonderful stories and well, familiar, many stories that we're so familiar with and we heard them growing up if you grew up in the church, right? And yeah, these are great, but then comes the dreaded word, but, B-U-T, but. Let's go on in uh, verse 35, second half. It says what? But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. And others were killed with a sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, 
destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Wow, brothers and sisters, think about that. That's some gruesome and morbid stuff that sometimes we conveniently leave out in our Sunday school stories. Sawed in half? Now, a tradition, a Jewish tradition has it that Isaiah, the prophet, the great prophet, was sawed in half with a wooden saw. I mean, come on. One of the greatest prophets of God to die such a gruesome death? That's crazy. But did God love Abraham, Noah, and Moses more than he loved Isaiah? Surely not. These are all God's elect and chosen people. These are mentioned in the same chapter of the heroes of faith. Now, I think these examples just goes on to prove that God's great deliverances in this life does not guarantee, is not guaranteed uh, uh, as a result of our faith in Him. In some cases, we would suffer greatly precisely because of our faith. And so, last April, our youngest son Owen had a sudden acute stomach ache. And we tried to give him medicine, and our doctors from our mission headquarters uh, uh, said uh, he didn't get, to get better overnight, and he wanted to check on him to make sure it's not an acute appendicitis. Now, the helicopter was going to come in the next day anyway to pick up our co-workers, and it had some extra space on it to take us out. So, we went out, and he went on uh, uh, IV uh, antibiotics, and thankfully he recovered. It wasn't appendicitis and he recovered quickly. And we were so grateful for that. We sent out prayer requests and many people were praying for him. And we're like, thank you God, you came through for us. Now, that's a great testimony. And God gets honored for that. But we also know many other missionary families where they don't have the exact same kind of stories and exactly they, they have the exact opposite. We know a family who they are in another village and when their three-year-old son started to have difficulty breathing, uh, they were trying to get him out uh, of the village uh, to get help. But because of weather, the hel uh, the, not the helicopter, the airplane, this little airplane could not go in to get them. Until a couple days later, the weather cleared up and they were able to get in and get the little boy. But on their way out, after they landed in town, on their way to the hospital, that's when their son died. We know this family personally, and their story really touched us. Now what did they do after their son died? They did not leave the mission field. They did not curse God, no. They buried their son properly, they mourned for him, but afterwards, they went straight back to the village. Now, this is something that, again, it's hard to swallow, but it happens to people who love God and are loved dearly by God. God does not love our family more or Owen more than he loves their son. Could God have saved their lives, their, their son's life? Of course he could have, but he didn't. And was God wrong in doing that? He is not. This again goes on to show that we cannot judge our life or God's love for us based on our circumstances. The history of the church and in the scripture, it is filled with stories of how God came through for people and sometimes when God didn't come through. Let us not equate human standard of worldly success, health, and happiness in this life as a touchstone of our faith. 
They can be one of the many blessings from God, but they're not the only form of blessing. God's providence for us in this world may differ from person to person, but all of us should have our ultimate security and hope in Christ Jesus himself. So that leads us to the solution of our problem, that God doesn't always come through when faced with our worst fears. The solution is what? In Christ, we are already victorious, even if our worst fears come true. In Christ, we are already victorious, even if our worst fears come true. Now here we have to go back to the fundamentals of our faith, brothers and sisters. What is the meaning of Christ's suffering and resurrection? Isn't it to save us from eternal damnation? Isn't it to give us eternal life? I mean, this is a big deal. It doesn't get any bigger than that. And because we have such great a salvation, then everything else in this world pales in comparison. This is precisely Paul's point in Romans, and this is where we're going to turn in this second point. In the first seven chapters, chapters of Romans, uh, Paul tells us how the gospel saved us as sinners, that we were dead to sin, but in Christ, and in his gospel that we have a way out of the condemnation of sin. And in chapter 8, he tells us that how we can be more than conquerors, that in our resurrected Lord, in his resurrection, that we one day will be like him, uh, overcome death. Let us take a look at Romans 18, uh, 8, uh, verse 18 to 19. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. And again, in verse 20, verses 23 and 24, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including... The new bodies he has promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. This is a big deal, brother and sister. We have something that we're waiting for, and that is our full rights as his adopted children, including new bodies, that we will defeat death. How wonderful is that? And again in Romans chapter 8, verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Because of these wonderful truths, nothing can be against us. And then he concludes in verses 35 and 37. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity, or are persecuted, or hungry, or destitute, or in danger, or threatened with death? And in verse 37, no. Despite all these things, Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ, who loved us. These are life-changing truths, uh, brothers and sisters. Paul is saying that because of the gospel and all the blessings that comes with trusting in Christ, these things are far greater than anything that could happen to us on this earth. Now, if you haven't read Romans 8, chapter 8 recently, I would encourage you to go back to reread it, to study it, or to ask questions about it. Why? Because if we don't fully grasp the spiritual truths in Romans 8, we'll be so tempted, so easy to turn away from Christ when things don't go our way. We'll be tempted to let our circumstances 
dictate our theology about God. Now, for example, when things start to go bad, if we suffer, we, 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 tend to, we might think like this, God, you must not love me. Uh, my quality of life has decreased. Uh, you must not love me. If I'm not happy, God, you must not love me. Or if I got sick, I got cancer, God, you must not love me. These are lies that Satan constantly tries to sow in our minds to undermine our faith in God. For our family, personally, right now, the temptation would be, God, really? Look, we're trying to do your missionary work, and you, we keep running into cancer and all these challenges. Do you not care about the Tongwa people? Uh, is it really... Uh, it's, it, it's, why do you keep giving us these uh, setbacks? It's really easy to find fault with God, but in Romans, Paul teaches us that in Christ, we have victory. We cannot let these setbacks uh, deter us. Now, these are truths that ground us in the jungles of Papua New Guinea. In the days when our safety net of medical evacuation was taken away from, from under us, days when the village fights break out spontaneously that we feared for our physical safety, it is these truths that help us find courage in the midst of uncertainties. So we see the problem. God doesn't seem to always come through when we face when we are faced with our worst fears. And the answer to the problem is this. In Christ, in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ, we are loved and overwhelmingly victorious, even if our worst fears come true. And now let's see how we can apply these truths to our lives. But first, we're gonna take a 30 second uh, exercise. I'm gonna, we're gonna do the same something called a fear inventory. I want you to take 30 seconds to write down as many of your worst fears as possible. Seriously, I want you to take out a piece of paper and pencil, or if you don't have it handy, uh, type it out on your phone or tablet, and take 30 seconds to write down as many of your worst fears as possible. Be completely honest. Nobody else will see your answers. Uh, I won't know your answers. There's no point in lying because God knows your greatest fear already more than you know them yourself. Uh, some fears you haven't even discovered yet. But take some time to write them down because seeing them written down is a very powerful thing. What is your greatest fears? Is it death? Is it sickness to yourself or a loved one? Is it about employment? Whatever your greatest fear may be, put them down. I'm going to pause the video for 30 seconds. You have 30 seconds starting now. Okay, I hope you were able to write down some of your worst fears down. So now, on to our application. Our application today is a easy self-diagnostic check in the form of two keywords, even if. Now the diagnostic question is this, is God still good or loving or sovereign or all-powerful or present, even if your worst fears come true? Is God still good, still loving, Still sovereign and all-powerful and even all-present with you, even if your worst fears come true. Now that question, how you answer them, 
It's very telling. Now I'll start, be, I'll start by being vulnerable and put ourselves on the test. Uh, this is what I wrote. Is God still good and loving and sovereign and all-powerful and present even if, if we don't get to go back to Papua New Guinea? If we become a quote-unquote failed missionary because that's how many, even within our Osoko, might, we might even perceive ourselves as such, that we didn't finish the work. Is God still good and loving and sovereign and all-powerful and present even if my wife succumbs to her cancer? Is God still loving and good and sovereign and all-powerful if one of us dies in the field and is buried in the bush or in the village? Is God still loving and good and powerful even if my children do not grow up to follow Him? Is He still loving and good and powerful if my dad dies without trusting in Christ? Those are difficult questions. How about for you? What did you write down? Maybe you put down, is God still good even if you lose your job or you have to break up in your current relationship? Is God still good and loving and powerful? If He has gifted you with the gift of celibacy and you are to serve Him as a single for the rest of your life. Is God still good and loving and powerful and sovereign if something tragic randomly happens to you or loved ones? Now, is God still good and loving even if He wants you to leave your comfort zone, uproot your whole family to serve Him overseas? Or even if you might have to suffer from chronic pain or depression, is He still good and loving? Even if disappointing your parents or being seen as a failure in your parents' eyes, is, is He still loving and good? Because if you choose to follow Him, there might be time, as we had faced ourselves, when choices you make will not please your parents. You can always honor them, but they will not agree with you. What if even what if you went into ministry, you're already in ministry, but it did not live it up to it did not live up to its expectations and your ministry is failing? Is God still good? How we answer these questions truly will reveal our hearts and our idols. I know some of you may right now may be in some of these what-if scenarios. Some of you may be in the thick of it without, see a way, uh, without seeing a way out. Now my encourage you, encouragement to you is this, keep the faith. God is definitely big enough to solve your problems. He's, in the, he's even big enough to love you and do all things for your good without solving your biggest problems. That's how big God is. He can solve your problems and He's great. But he can still be great and not solve your problem because he already gave you the biggest gift ever in Christ Jesus. Now, there are mysterious things that happen in this world that we can't understand, but that's because we're humans and we're finite, we're limited. And sometimes it is because of our sins, but sometimes it's not. But we just have to trust him because in Christ we are victorious and he is sovereign and we can rest in him. Now for others of you, maybe those what-ifs are more distant or abstract or foreign. Maybe life is going pretty well for you. Maybe some of you are uh, up and coming and not, not feeling uh, the pains of the world so much. Maybe some of you, uh, uh, your Instagram posts are, are actual reflection of your real life, uh, not just a, a, a facade that you put on for the world. 
But my warning to you is to not trust in your comfort, uh, comfortable environment. Not trust in your good times. Otherwise, these things will be become your idols and when things don't go your way later on, you'll be tempted to abandon the faith or to doubt God's goodness. You'll be tempted to let your circumstances dictate who God is. Or let your circumstances define who God is. And my encouragement to you is actually try to be intentional in stepping out of your comfort zone. Because the longer you're in it, the longer you're in the comfort zone, the more insensitive you'll become about suffering and persecutions. This brings me to mind my, one of my pro favorite uh, Proverbs is uh, Proverbs 30, uh, verses 7 to 9. Here, Agur, the son of Jacob, say, Two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal, and so dishonor the name of my God. These verses are great prayers and attitudes to have, and they are also great reminders of the wandering idol-worshipping nature of our sinful hearts. Our circumstances, whether good or bad, can tempt us to compromise our view and our faith in God. Now I want to go back briefly to Hebrews 11 again for two examples to look at. First, there's the example of Abraham. One of his worst fears was to lose Isaac. However, we were told that he believed that even if his worst fear came true, God could still find a way to fulfill his promise of bringing many nations and descendants through his son Isaac. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 19. Here it says, Abraham reasoned that, I'm going to put in even, even if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense, Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. Now, Abraham knew God was bigger than his even-ifs. Another example I want to present to you is the example of Daniel uh, and his three friends, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is uh, mentioned in briefly in verse 34, where they said they quenched the flames of fire. But it's an example of how in the face of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's uh, murderous threat, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their natural fear would have been they don't want to die in the burning furnace. But look at what they actually says uh, in Daniel verses, uh, chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. He's saying, our, our God is more powerful than you. But, even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold statue you have set up. I love the responses, brothers and sisters. They have such great theology and they have great application of their great theology. Could God save them? Most definitely, right? Will he save them? They believed he would. Uh, but they did not presume on God's deliverance. Why? Because 
they have hope beyond death. So they said, even if God doesn't save them, that's okay. They would still honor God and they would, die, they would willingly die in the furnace. Because God to them is much more worthy to be worshipped and feared than this puny little king Nebuchadnezzar. And they also knew God is bigger than their even ifs. And then of course, brothers and sisters, of all the great examples, we have the ultimate example of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the Gospels, right before He went to the cross, as He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, He asked the Father three times to remove the cup of suffering from Him. It was something that Jesus specifically did not want to experience. He asked God three times to take it away, but He always ends it with, Your will be done, every time. What does it mean? It means that even if he had to symbolically drink from the cup of suffering, which he actually did on the cross in his death, he said, your will be done. Now, brothers and sisters, these are reality checks. This is real life stuff. Is your view of God based on who he says he is, or are you judging God based on your own life circumstances? Are you mentally ready face your worst fears because if you don't they will come and you might not be ready for it brothers and sisters as a missionary and as a pastor my prayers is that more of you are grasping and God's amazing goodness and worship him more deeply every day and my prayers is that out of that relationship with our triune God that you are willing to pursue things things of his kingdom and not only things not not only earthly things I'd love to see more of you being sent into different parts of the world. Yes, some of you should stay and minister there, but as I say every time, not all of you are called to stay. I believe, I firmly believe that in, in a church of your size, there's got to be more that needs to go out. And that is Jesus' direct command. There are still many people out there waiting to hear the good news, waiting for a thriving church to be planted in their midst. Are you up for the challenge? It's not going to be an easy road. I want to challenge you, but if I don't help you with this quote-unquote theology of suffering, then I'll be just raising up all these uh, great stories and inspiring stories and getting you passion to go, and once you face the first challenges, you'll be turning back. So my prayer for today's message is that we can recognize what the Christian life is. It's not one without suffering or persecution or one that is measured by uh, standards of this world. No, we are more than conquerors because of who we are in Christ Jesus and what He has done for us. And turning our focus back again to God. And the ultimate reality is this. Our Heavenly Father, He is the one who loved us so much that even if He had to subject His Son to die on the cross, even if He had to subject Him to die on the cross, He still did it. That is our gospel, and it is precisely in this Son who conquered death and rose from the dead, in Him that we trust, and in Him that we too are more than conquerors. Let us pray.